a rock is just a rock unless you know how to extract what is inside it. Once you have the knowledge, once you know that that rock is not like any other rock, that rock is chalpyrite. I don't know if I'm saying that right. It is an ore. It is an ore of copper. Once you know that, then it becomes a resource. This is a long, well, medium length article about basically knowledge being the barrier to resource discovery, which would completely reshape your understanding oh. of the world. This is going back to the sugar cube powered Tesla, you know, not to, uh, Rafa Frodo on the screen as a as a Wait. little B-roll there, mate. They... If you invent a fusion reactor that can run a Tesla on a sugar cube for a hundred years, <laughs> and you ask me whether I would buy that instead of the Tesla, all other things being equal, I think I like the car with the fusion motor or the atomic overthruster. Well, welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice, the AMA episode part two from last week. Last week, we covered off on the more topical stuff. This week, we've got all the stuff we couldn't get to was more personal. We got Visor fans still here. We got Jack Butcher in the place and Bilal Zadie, handheld Zadie today. Boys, let's get straight into it. We're going deep straight away. Our boy Tyler asked a question. Does imposter syndrome ever go away? Do you guys still get anxious and scared time to time? We're just scared. We're going straight for the deep stuff. Good Thank you Lord, for that question, Tyler. Tyler. Oh my God, you guys got to hit this syndrome. one. Jack, do you get imposter syndrome? I disagree with the premise of it, basically. <laughs> like the idea. Oh, um, really? Okay, I'm just saying. I'm saying the expectation that if you're making progress, that you don't end up in a position where you have less experience than your peers or your perceived peers is incorrect right like i think it was seth godin had this thing he said you feel imposter syndrome because you're an imposter that sounds like a seth godin thing to say <laughs> Bro, no, but you know sounds, what i'm saying like it's that just, sounds no, no, I get so it, yeah. deep i have no idea what that means no but i guess you're saying that like, you're not there yet is that what you're saying yeah well it's saying like because you all everyone's you an imposter what do you expect yeah exactly it's like you show up to the first day of like training for a sport or something and you have zero days of experience versus people who have 10 years of experience you are like you are again, this is, compared to if them, you yeah. listen if you listen to last week's thing the idea of language you can use the term imposter to describe what you're experiencing you could also mm. use the term inexperienced unqualified like younger whatever the thing is and depending on the definition of the thing you're trying to do that's also uh you know if you're trying to play fly a plane and you don't know how to fly a plane you're an imposter and you should, probably shouldn't be flying a plane, right? There are very m like massive degrees of difference in when and where the word imposter in my mind is, is, uh, the consequences yeah. of being an imposter are different in different situations. Right. But for everybody, especially if you're doing something nuanced or you're working for yourself or you're trying to build something that is, you know, under your control entirely, the entire journey, you experience that because you are by definition, like there is no qualification to reach or specific milestone to hit, or like, you don't feel an imposter when you're like stacking shelves in a supermarket because it's piss easy to do it. Not yeah. physically, not physically. Not physically, it's but actually the, pretty the, hard. The, the, uh, yeah, and you can, come on, come on, Jack. I was just like, I see Jack, what you're saying. Jack worked in a car factory, he's allowed to say no, that. What, what I, wanna, what I worked I wanna... in a supermarket too, I'm saying. Oh, you, I'm you, saying. you like, I'm not... every, yeah, every, no, no, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm saying. I see what you're saying. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I think the best thing I'm taking away from what you said is this. There are degrees to where imposterness is a problem, right? So I will just comment on what Jack said, and I 100% agree, is if you are an, if you feel like an imposter uh, in a lower, like, quote, unquote, lower state, if you're an imposter for surgery, yeah, that's a problem, right? Like, right. If, you're, if you're a heart surgeon and you feel like an imposter, that's probably not a good thing. And, and you wouldn't probably be in that situation because you put in so much work, so much practice, so many hundreds of thousands of hours of preparation where you probably won't feel that way, right? And even then you might I know, not I, feel. I might, but I'm answering bias thinking that this is probably entrepreneurial lens that somebody's coming yeah, at this with. Enough. Probably yeah, yeah. is or some business related or knowledge worker related, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I will say- Yeah, to, and you're, I, I, not no. like that. maybe my answer came off as negative, but I'm saying like outside of very defined boundaries you're gonna feel that because you're doing things that don't have specific definition you're in a category of one so you know that to me unless you 
want to give that up and go into an environment that has much more of a fixed set of variables, that's the that's the trade-off. Uncertainty. I love that. I but love Jack, that clarification. I'll go, go on, Trunk. No, I just want to add is like, yeah, I think we should uh, clarify that we believe that this is probably for the more creative productivity field that we are in currently and that we do. And uh, we're probably only qualified to opine on that anyways, right? Uh, I love all to the clarify, said, both of you are saying you do get that feeling or not. Because Jack, you said something about if it's day one, you should have it. Ten years later, you might not. I, that part I was wanting to no, clarify. No, I think I think I think imposter syndrome as a way to encapsulate what we're talking about is a bad framing for it in an entrepreneurial context. You know, like you are identifying as somebody, yeah, who's trying yeah, to do yeah, something yeah. different. Like yeah, if you well, don't yeah, like yeah, that yeah. feeling, you shouldn't be. Well, not like the feeling if you can't tolerate the feeling or expect yeah. the feeling or like. If you stay in forward motion, it's just like the window of things you haven't done is just moving to the right it's or, great, the, or forward or whatever. Yeah, you you're literally want. by definition imposter because d doing that sort of work is about being new into something, creating something new. But I guess that that's or what even to, even just yeah. new to you, even just new to you. That's true. Like I, maybe I am even generalizing it too much by saying like you're changing the world, like you're changing your experience of the world. You're like having a different experience or trying something that you haven't done before, which is a net new thing, which I think has just been like the most popular framing of this idea of just basically getting new experience and trying things that you don't have a barometer for, or you haven't been through that feedback loop before. So, uh, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, so go, go on, Tron. What are you going to say? Yeah. I was just going to say, uh, now that we've kind of, uh, gone to the wording semantic of it, and which I, I, I do agree with, just to summarize Jack's point, I think there are different fields of where imposter syndrome matter. And also the, that, that terminology to describe a feeling, it is such a broad kind of idea, right? But I think the antidote to a lot of it, uh, and I don't know if this is exactly what Tyler is alluding to, but I think the antidote is the feeling of being an imposter is that you're, you're literally allowing somebody or somebody's to determine, you know, whether or not you should pursue this thing. Because the very by definition feel like an imposter is like you're feeling like you're judged right so your locus of control who you're outsourcing to determine if you should be doing or if you're good at what you're doing is fully external i i think the way to kind of combat that is just like you know a we talked about this a lot in the past is like people may think about something about you but the reality is that they think about it for one second and then close their lives and then they stop thinking about you. So that concern about what they think about you is should be fleeting as it is for them. And then what's the other thing? What's in your control? If you feel like an imposter, okay, what do you do to not be an imposter anymore? Right? Like what, what does that require? And then can you find out what that requires? Are you willing to pay the price for what that requires? And then will you implement it? I think it's a, like, it's very practical. Like, I feel like I've had this conversation with family members and friends, like, First of all, don't come to me for advice, man. Like, I'm the last person to be coming for advice. But I think the answer is always the same. It's like, okay, well, yeah, I've had, had, I've had this had conversation. Somebody's like, hey, Trunk, like, I don't feel like I'm very good at this thing. I'm like, okay, that's cool. You feel that way? Well, uh, sorry, Trunk, can I clarify real quick just what, as yeah. you're answering? The, I think my understanding of imposter syndrome, the way he's probably saying it, like Jack said, the more recent framing around that phrase is around, I'm in a room. I don't deserve to be here. Or you feel like, oh, everyone else here is so good and how did I get in this room with them? So it's not necessarily just like, oh, I'm not that good at this thing. I think that's a part of it potentially. But it's normally a feeling of, I I don't deserve to be here. A lot of right. other people have well, got so many more qualifications that. or whatever. Fair yeah. enough. It's like, what are these people that you're comparing yourselves to? And what are these people that are giving you anxiety for what they've accomplished? Okay, well, what did they do to do that? What is it about their accomplishments whether that's financial, work, academic, that is making you feel that way. Now, can you do that? Can you top that? And it, if you can, or not necessarily top it, can you reach that level? What does that work require, right? I think, I think in your mind, you're just going to be like, okay, I'm in this room. Maybe I shouldn't quote unquote be in this room. But if I have ambitions to be like these people that I'm surrounded by, what is our, like, stop. I stop getting the anxiety part, really. Right? Like, it's, it's difficult, but that's, that's the only thing I kind of, a frame around it that can be completely off base no, like no, not addressing I, the I question get what you're i would just add to that real quickly is i think the feeling i mean when i've had it in the past i think it's more around the, uh, well first of all i think 
traditionally a lot more women get this than men or like i think both uh, men and women get it but from speaking to a lot of women about it that's a more common thing than a lot of men like in fact a lot of men tend to be again i'm generalizing here this is getting me cancelled but it's like a uh, yeah, overconfidence. yeah it's like oh they should be thinking hey i actually need to learn more than they do like i'll do that sometimes i'll go in the room i'll be like oh, i'll figure it out you know what i mean whereas a lot of people might be so qualified so uh established in whatever they're doing have lots of knowledge but then kind of hold back because they say oh that person in the room uh i'm gonna listen to them or I, I, you know i think they are more experienced than me for whatever reason and they come across more confidently so i think a lot of it is well kind of what you said there is varying levels to it. Sometimes, as Jack said, you are an imposter, right? Like you don't know enough yet and you need to hone that craft or uh, gain that knowledge to feel confident. If you're still getting that after, you still actually look at yourself objectively and say, I do actually know 90% of what I'm going to know because you're never going to know 100%. Then you might get to the stage where you're like, all right, now it's beyond me knowing enough and having the skills of qualification. It's more about there's a confidence thing there. And that often is a bit deeper. That is more about kind of like your self-perception, right? Like it's, that is where I think a lot of people do struggle with it. I feel like us three, just knowing you guys from here, might not struggle with it as much. But I know that having spoken to a lot of people, that is a common thing. So that, that I don't know what the antidote to that is, except for what Trung just mentioned there and what Jack mentioned. It's just like making sure you're doing all the things you can do to be the best version of yourself, but also reminding yourself like you're there for a reason so like i've had this let's say when i joined charity war interesting example because even though charity war was a much smaller organization than say google my role at charity war was very very senior and it was i was managing lots of people that were older than me on paper more experienced right so that was an example where at times i might i don't i wouldn't say i was a complete imposter but i would at times i'd be in a room where i don't want to like name drop but it'll be like people in the room where I'm like oh I've like read that person's book when I was a kid and now they're in a room with me and they're asking my opinion or there's you know there's like uh, well-to-do people there and I'm like oh well maybe I'm not yet at that level where I should really be uh, answering this but then you kind of need to remind yourself well you're there for a reason you got through the door for a reason they hired you for a reason I think that's different as an employee than as a business owner or entrepreneur though because entrepreneur you're literally as Jack said you're creating something completely new so you're by definition kind of an imposter in that scenario so yeah that's the only thing i would add is just rem remember that you're there for a reason and like no one's got completely sort of figured out um so yeah that, that's the only thing i wanted to add all right great question though tyler let us know if that was helpful or if there was more context we were missing uh this one is for jack from rustin um i feel we will probably have to clarify something in the question here but he said if you could only choose consulting in brackets vv which i know is not what vv is for you nowadays uh, or being an artist i.e checks which would you pick which do you enjoy most or are they inseparable at this point and so to clarify i don't think visualized value is consulting i know you originally started with a small agency and that eventually became visualized value to get new clients but yeah just to clarify rustin from my understanding i'll let jack answer that um but yeah, Jack, what do you think about Rustin's question there? Whichever one I have the most agency in, pretty much. So like the whole journey of Visualize Value has gone from having some agency to a little bit more agency to lots of agency to complete what I consider complete agency now. And that is a preference, but as with the answer to the last question, there are obvious trade-offs in every, in every move forward into that. Like the further you go down that road, there are more and more trade-offs, right? The idea that consulting work, for example, is like a long-term relationship that has a guaranteed exchange of value for a period of time versus like you have to have great ideas consistently and just act on your instinct much more. It's way more volatile and intense, but the trade-off for me is way worth, like way worth it. Where, um, even when I get people even like discussing partnerships, I'm trying to get stuff done. Now this is like, you get out of practice on that stuff so much to the point where you get like, I'm definitely like resistant of that stuff now where like having too many cooks in the kitchen on anything I'm doing is like, I severely resist it. And I think that's pretty much in line with 
the desire that I had when I started all of this stuff. So, so going from basically being in an agency business where you do create, like you do creative things for other people and you try and express yourself in some way in those endeavors to doing something creative for the sake of doing it is the ultimate has been and was the ultimate goal. And I feel as though I'm pretty close to doing that right now, which is, you know, what I set out to do in the first place. So that's my preference. That's incredible. Yeah. And so to clarify, the, the preference is more the creative stuff directly for yourself. And I would say in the question, we talked about consulting as one end and then artists at the other. The other middle ground was visualized value itself as a mm-hmm. medium for you to create stuff at scale. Then you did like the product approach with your courses and stuff, teaching people around that. And then eventually the art is the pure form of creativity that is your soul, right? Like that is knowing you, that is your a pure creative. And so I think you're both, mm-hmm. right? Like you, you're also a business person and an entrepreneur, but it's just like the artists where you're just creating something from scratch and, you know, people like it for the ideas and the creativity of it is different to I'm going to create a value proposition where I'm going to teach someone something, right? Or mm-hmm. I'm going to create a, uh, I'm going to be a consultant and like they're going to tap into my creativity for X thousand dollars or whatever. So yeah, that, that yeah, I think yeah. there was an intermediate part which we didn't acknowledge uh, or Rustin didn't yeah, acknowledge you owe in people, the question. You owe people responses more at one end and less at the other end, which is yeah. which is what I've been trying to work towards for a long time. That's great, man. Amazing. All right, well... Uh, then that was a great answer to that question. Next one is also from Rustin. He had a three-part question. We're given all three answers here. Uh, this one was to me. He said, what have you learned about modern NIA that has been most helpful in Creator Lab? So uh, I would say really quickly, first of all, the way I moderate in air quotes this pod is, first of all, I don't even really count it as proper moderating. I'd say it's like a half moderation. And it's kind of, my style in general is very conversational, as you guys know. Uh, so with Creator Lab, there's interviews and conversations. I've always strived for something I call like uh, conversational interviews, which is kind of in between. And similar to this, I've always seen it as that's the fun of it is like three guys hanging out talking about interesting stuff. The only moderating I really do in this is moving us along and like trying to keep us organized really, right? That's kind of how I, I think the energy of it is something I do naturally as well is uh, if I feel like, oh, we need to change direction, or it's getting too long, I try to bring it in. That's some form of moderation. Um, So that's just to clarify on what I would say. I don't even think I'm really doing full moderating, but that's kind of how I treat it. The second part is really my approach. Like I said, is what what I kind of learned from it is first of all, actually, they are two very different things, like doing interviews one-on-one. I've done it before, like only a handful of times where I've had multiple people on a podcast. That was more like a multi-part interview, but that was the closest as it gets to this. Um, but they're honestly almost like two different things completely. And I actually think I'm way better at doing deeper interviews because I've just done it for longer. And when we started doing this, it was actually kind of a new thing for me. I hadn't really said like, oh, let me tee up Trung, let me tee up Jack. And I have learned over time doing it and just like listening to other people, there are ways to make it better. For example, like you can literally call out someone's name when you want to move out to the next thing. It sounds so obvious, but you'll be like, let's say Trunk talking about something. And I'm like, oh, we need to keep the energy going. And I'll be like, Jack, what do you think about this? So that is, I don't actually do that that often, but that's uh, something I've learned. Now I know. Now I you know. Yeah. No, 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 no. I know you're doing <laughs> I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. There we yet. go, yeah. <laughs> but it, and actually, I will say, uh, as much as he says it about himself, which I think is silly, uh, I do think he's very good uh, on the All In pod. I think Jason's actually a very good moderator. Uh, I wish he just didn't say he's a great moderator because it would just make it better. It's like telling people you're funny. So like just be funny and let people know you're funny from your jokes. But all jokes aside, I think he is actually a really good moderator. And I've heard him, uh, Andrew from Ask Blog, which is a pod I listen to for hours every week. He's really, really good at it as well. So that there are some people where I've taken cues from, oh, that's a great way to do it. So that I was just sharing a tangible thing I've learned. Um, but the main thing is um, doing the podcast for a while is... Uh, and I've seen other other people have asked me like, what's your advice in doing a podcast specifically with the style of it? And what I would say is you just need to identify what you're good at naturally and what you enjoy doing and like lean into that. So for me, what reason I started the Creative Lab in the first place was because I was already having those conversations in my personal life. And I was just, I realized, oh, I'm naturally curious. I'm going to sit with someone 
for 20 minutes or three hours and I'll, I'll have questions to ask them because I'm naturally curious about it. So that is my approach and it's very conversational. I'm okay with speaking more as well. Whereas in the beginning, I was trying to do stuff on Creative Lab where people, because what I was doing what I thought interviewing was, which was speak 10% and let the other person speak 90%. That's like a traditional interview. Over time, I realized actually that's not even what I like listening to, right? So over time, when I got feedback from people, I realized people actually liked when I was able to share my point of view because I'm not a real journalist. I'm like a person who's, you know, worked in business and started stuff myself. So that was kind of my uh, approach to it. So yeah, the summary is I don't think I've learned too much in terms of like things I've carried over, but I think it's made me a well-rounded more comfortable interviewer and, and vice versa. So that's kind of how I've thought about it. Uh, the next question is for all three of us. Said, so, do you feel cynical when people reach out to you? Do you struggle with feeling like people befriend you because they want something? And does that ever go away? Quite an interesting premise. I would say specifically for you guys, as you've become bigger online, uh, I've got this on my own smaller scale, but just people reaching out uh, asking for things. Do you guys notice that more as you've like grown your audiences on Twitter and stuff? I'll answer this one uh, first. Yeah, for sure. I don't, I don't want to say cynical. It's just if you are a listener and you have reached out and I haven't responded, uh, this is my heuristic. It's just I don't have time to honestly to respond to the amount of volume of messages I get. And, uh, and I've talked about this before. It's, nothing, it's literally nothing personal. It's just this is my online life. This is my work life. I have a lot of other things, uh, mostly family and kid related. And I just have to pick and choose your battles. Like, but the one thing I will say is this, the absolute toughest obviously goes in order. Asking for a meetup in person. Like I see my parents and siblings like X amount of times a year, right? Like like to, for me to carve out time to like physically meet someone uh, while having to schedule with my wife and my kid and all these other things, extremely difficult. And then it goes to the next layers, right? Zoom and phone. It's the same deal. It's like, you know that meme of like a single phone call blowing up your entire day? It's like, it's, it's quite similar. It's like if they, it's so if they true had to though. the meme. If it had to be a text, a thing. could this have been a text? Yeah. Could this have been one email where I send five? To be honest, if you're looking for something from not necessarily like me or anyone, it's like, it, it, even in my approaches with some people that I, you know, do want to meet in chat, it's like, it's just so simple. It's like a, it's like one ask, right? It's like, can, are you free here? Hey, man, quick question or, or, or about this one thing. And is this a two-sentence answer you can have, right? Honestly, you might get more value out of that than trying to, like, shoehorn a 30 or 45-minute chat, right? And uh, so I've mostly, uh, to be honest, is uh, I, I still try to answer. I get a lot. Uh, I'm sure Jack gets a ton. I still try to answer as many as I can. Uh, but if, you know, it, the reality is that it's just finite in terms of how many you can do. And then and then just the, the ordering of the ask, like I just described, because I'm sure it's exactly the same for you guys. It's, man, like, blah, somebody asked you for the in-person meet. Like, that's a big ask. Yeah, yeah, same. I would say the, 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 the question, though, around, like, befriending you because they want something, that's an interesting idea as well, because the truth is, like, most people, if you have a cold exchange with someone you don't know like the yeah. assumption is there is something someone wants it, does, it doesn't always necessarily have to be a bad thing right because like a a good someone who's promoting could be mutual, something right? could it be could mutual. be mutual yeah. exactly it could be like hey i want to introduce you to this person because that's going to help you and them and me or i want to sell you this product because i think you will like it and i'll make money from it i'm never against like a cold outreach but i will say yeah there's the thing you mentioned there about like the order of stuff that is interesting because sometimes with a podcast specifically people listen to you for hours right and there's that's an interesting dynamic that is very unique to podcasting where yeah. people know so much more about you than you know you don't know anything about them obviously right if you just met them and that is an interesting thing because i have it with other people too where i meet them and i feel like they're my best friend because i've listened to them for hours and you just want to hang out with them and it's not necessarily something i want something from them either but a lot of the, well, they want something, it's your time just to feel good to be able to talk to someone, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. But again, it comes down to the understanding it's not like personal, it's just like a priority thing. Like even uh, like this week, we, we talked about, I'm in Lisbon, a few people messaged about it and I, w I would love to do it. But it's again, it's like a limited time I'm here. I'm just about scheduling in stuff with people that are like friends of friends that I really want to meet. 
So it just becomes down to priority thing. Let me actually, not blow, you nailed it because I kind of didn't answer that question. But yeah, I, the cynical part versus like, is it, uh, do they want to be a friendship? I, I'd actually frame it like this. This is my answer to that very specific question is uh, I think when you're doing those type of outreaches or hey, whichever position you're in, you really think about the position the other person is in, right? If somebody is a little bit, a little bit on the older side, listen, if I'm in my 20s, dude, if I'm early 20s, I know literally anything. Everything. I'm good. Yeah. I will do anything it's just yeah. that time just like know who that person you're talking to like and, and I, this might be a huge generalization but once they move into that parenting once you start once the individual has a kid all bets are off at that yeah, point yeah everything's just like, completely different schedule right? just yeah. goes well i love i love jack's thoughts on this like jack yeah i mean well here's the thing jack's been insanely productive with a second kid like so i mean like jack let's throw the ball in your court could you address first the specific question about, um, you know, are you cynical about outreaches? And then the second part of like, you know, understanding the phase that person is in and like what's even, what is even reasonable to expect? So I'm not cynical about the outreach. I think the, to Chung's point about there being a lot of material about the stuff that people are probably reaching out about already recorded on YouTube, the hundreds of these that we've done. And I've done like very specific things in, in like, visualized value world or NFT world or crypto world. And a lot of the time, I think people just ascribe a way higher value of outcome from like a 15 minute conversation they would have with you versus like going in and digging into the stuff that already exists out there. Uh, I was actually having this conversation with Celia this week. I think the most valuable thing you could do for someone in most cases is like, this is a bad idea. Like this is like, I don't know. That's a really hard thing to do in a short period of time because it's it's you don't want to discourage someone, but at the same time, you don't want somebody to like waste their time on something. And part of that is like the natural process of figuring stuff out. Like if I go back five or six years and look at like the cold, I would send cold outreach messages on LinkedIn to people about like working <laughs> with my agency. Legend. And like I look at that now, I'm like, if I was on the receiving end of that, I'd be like, who is this idiot, man? Like, he really thinks that I'm like, you know, CMO of this company. I'm going to hire him from a cold LinkedIn message, right? So yeah, like, I'm I'm not cynical apart from that. It's like the reps that you have to go through in some respect, where it's like realizing what it takes to really get somebody's attention and like make something interesting enough to like warrant, like Trunk says, like, taking a good amount of time out of the day but the second part of the question where like your traditional like i grew up i guess in a like your friends are your friends and the people you work with are the people you work with right and you you have working relationships with the with your workmates and that's a different thing when you get into like specifically like your life and work bl blurring a lot the boundary is way harder to keep because you're passionate about it you're interested in it you're always talking about it and sometimes that leads to like these awkward conversations where like people assume that you're like doing something with them or you've like created this i don't know i'm i'm maybe bad at this because i'm i don't know, I, I don't see the line as clearly but i find myself sometimes like oh man i wish i just kept this to like talking about football at the pub you know, like you get into too far <laughs> down the like yeah, rabbit hole of let's start the bear stand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, and, that's and, a great and, point. That's a great point. That's a great point, and, and, dude. But, and I sometimes think like, was that me like making that happen? And then you question like, well, the nature of your friendship in the first place that that really sets the tone for it too, right? Like. Uh, one of the things I've loved about moving cities is I've met people who like are completely outside of my professional interests. So like you could go have a beer and like literally will never come up. Like none of that, no work stuff will ever come up. And I know that is an important thing, I think, to have, uh, to not have every conversation you have and every friendship you have centered around the stuff that you're like, for me at least, is like constantly running in the back of my mind. So I don't know if that answers the question, but yeah, it's a very difficult, uh, a very difficult thing to maintain. And in meeting 
like a lot of people that I thought I would want to work with, there's like 0.001% actually fits the bill and you boys are on that list, but it's a long, like, yeah, yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to filter through that. That's a great point. What Jack, what I was going to say is to your point is to talk the other side, which is an example like us three meeting on the internet. And now we do this podcast for the last two years plus together every week. And we all, you know, not crazy to say we're all very good friends by this point. Yeah. Even though we all three of us had never hung out in a room, it sounds super weird. It's happening. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it's Collision. happening. Don't worry. I'm calling my shot There we go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But no, but all jokes aside, it is. Like we talk to each other pretty much every day for the last for a while, right? And I'm not saying, you know, I'm like your best friend from childhood, right? Like that's a different level of friend, but we're real friends by this point, right? Like, and so it is a funny thing where those conversations, like what I would say is someone who initiated, let's say a conversation with Jack and then Triangle later as well, was you kind of need to take the cues, right? And so like for me, when I reached out to you about visualized value, it was a genuine we talked about the pod, really love your work. It was just a straight up. There was no ask. A genuine, I wasn't really contacted to ask. I was like, oh, this is such cool work. I'm a creative person. I'd recognize this. Someone created this in their brain. I always like to send a message just to say, basically, like, thanks for making this thing. And then from that, you get a reaction. Jack responds, and I hear him say mate or something like that. I'm like, oh, maybe he's English or maybe he's Australian. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm English. I say mate too. And then we have a back and forth. And I'm like, oh, by the way, if you ever want to talk about this, I have a podcast. We could talk about it. And then from there on the podcast, you know, I've had lots of people on the podcast, only like, let's say 20% of them, I'll actually speak 20 to 30%. I'll speak to ever again, right? Because a lot yeah. of them you just never have a chance to chat to again. And I'd say like five to 10 actually have become pretty good friends or like people I still speak to or see, but that was a progressive thing. It was like, okay, Jack, how did the conversation go? Did I do a good job that I put my best foot forward in this conversation? And then did we get on enough that it wasn't just like this basic thing of oh let's stay in touch it was like jack's like oh no yeah take my number we should definitely chat and if someone says take my number that's a different level of interest it sounds like i'm a pickup artist here but same same idea <laughs> right uh, yeah well, <laughs> read really, it from the game <laughs> i don't know if the ama has any questions about relationships we'll yeah but there we go that. Uh, rafa cut that segment and we'll just title it something different why How the game it? How to, to find a gamer. <laughs> yeah, how to find your partner. No, how but all jokes aside, you right. get the point, right? Invite it's, him on the podcast. Yeah. You got to just read the room, basically, right? And you got to yeah, not yeah, overstep yeah. the boundaries. And you got to say, uh, like, first of all, make that ask, like you said, think about what's in it for them. And sometimes it's not. Like, it's okay if that's the case. But then don't take it personally when someone's not responding. It's that's not the other side of it. Yeah, yeah. Do not take it personally. You have every right to send these shots. Yeah. The individual. And this goes on both sides. I've said, I don't take Same. a person the person to respond. How can you possibly? You, first of all, you have to assume that shit's in the spam. That should just be like default. Like, I've, I've actually had one with good friends where they emailed me, like, hey, Tron, I'm coming in Vancouver. And like, I never replied. And like, two years later, it's like, yo, dude, you look completely ghosted me, like, when I came to the city. And then I'll look in literally the spam box and it's like my good buddy from college who I completely ghosted because I never saw his message. And they think it's bullshit, right? But yo, these Gmail filters You're are no that joke. that screenshot, bro. You yeah, can't yeah. Let know. I'm like, I got, I'm like, I got me some receipts. Receipts, yeah, yeah. No, but I, well, yeah, so I think that's a great question. Good, like, discussion. But yeah, I, the only thing, the last thing I was going to say, there are some people I've interviewed in the past where it got to a level, essentially when you're publicly rich, right? So like, Jack, you might now get this where people know how much you sold artwork for or you've in the past shared, you know, visualized value numbers, check the chain. Yeah. And uh, so there's certain things where people know you've made X amount of money, which does bring its own level of kind of ask, right? Because uh, the guy I'm thinking of is Jim McKilvey. He was on the pod, Great Lab, Fad of Square. He told me right at the end, he basically said, I basically said, what's it like? What was it feeling when you became a billionaire, basically, in so many words? And he said, yeah, I had this great euphoric moment. But then after that, it's basically downhill. Because once you're known to be a rich person, just assume every single message you get is someone's asking for something and most likely asking for money. And it's kind of true. It's like you're then, like I've been added to so many podcasters list that all my inbox every day, I will get 10, 20 messages requesting guests for for the podcast, right? Yeah, so I just know 98% of them are just 
bullshit. They're not even good guests. I'd have never heard of the people. And so that is my level of, on a tiny scale, not billionaire status. Imagine, I think I also got added to some investors list somewhere. And they're like, hey, you start sending decks to me. And I'm like, oh my God, how have you been spamming my email here? Oh, so wow. you can't imagine at that level where you're either publicly facing, really publicly facing at that level, or you're a billionaire, it's next level. So I, I would well, say just, yeah, eventually don't just put a barrier between them and the outside world. That's true. Too, right? This is, family the, office. this is the family office. The EA yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the family office or whatever it is. I think That's that, a good that point. becomes a point in, I was actually just reading, uh, Skin in the game, to learn. The same? Oh. Yeah, uh, I left it on a plane. I was just on actually, and uh, hopefully somebody picked that up and yeah. had a life changing. Jack, Jack just walks around, leaves the Navalmanac just in Dropping random it. seats. <laughs> With a signed copy on his yeah, illustration. Just that signed yeah, copy. Yeah, yeah. Leaves it. You're, hey, you're welcome. I changed your life. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's a there's like a passage in there where he says like you're able to basically evaluate and uh, curate opportunities much better if you don't externalize that. So you are the barrier or you are the barometer. Like you take it all, but you can only like respond to a certain amount. But I, you could argue both sides of that because if you have somebody with decent enough understanding of what you want to do, that that filter can you know, can never hit you. And the like, I feel really guilty when there are people that I have collaborated with or have known for a long time or, and they'll ask me like really reasonable stuff. Like, Hey, can you have this, I have a project that I'm working on. I'd love your feedback on it. Can we get on the phone for an hour? And you're po like an hour. It's not the hour. It's the like complete the mental day. pivot from whatever I'm doing yeah. to what you're doing. Like all the context that you're going to have to give me to even get like a, and this is not to say like, if you've chosen that as a career, if you're a VC or if you're like somebody who wants to evaluate and switch context and do all this, this, and this, I'm not doing that. I'm trying to do one thing for, you know, eight hours straight. And then this thing comes in left field. It's not about the hour that you're taking out of yeah. someone's day. It's like, I would rather not start that conversation because you never get to the end of the hour and like, okay, there you go, like case closed, yeah. right? It's like, let's keep chatting about it or let me think about it. And then that is like opening up this other thing where I'm like, almost when I'm saying it, I'm like, I have a track record of not following up on any of this stuff, but I hear my mouth saying, I'm going to get back to you and I'm going to think about it. Bro, when you say and I'm going to get, there, there's nothing more devastating than saying <laughs> I could do. You're like, I could oh, do. God, yeah. oh. no, dude. I, yeah, that's let me tough. think about it. I'll get back to you. Let me, let, mm. I want to tell you something I've recently done. I got, now I just say, and I'm giving this away. So I said to you people, anyways, listen, you know what I mean? I just well, go, pay more, pay more this. I'll look into it. That's it. That's my entire commitment. Yeah. I'm going to look into it. And then if you hit me a month later, hey, uh, Trump, did you get a chance? Yeah, I looked into it. I got nothing to add. I looked. Oh, yeah, I looked. Yeah. There's nothing more for me to add. That's it. Nah, boys. The, the real thing, I think, is to have a, like, hey, I'm not. I don't don't have the bandwidth for this right now. Yeah. Oh, Thanks for thinking of me. That. I appreciate it. Yeah, that, that's a good uh, like, point. Like, not, how like, you actually gonna... frame it because you don't want to feel bad, but you do want to be kind of honest and straight up. But that but it, like you like you get to a point, especially when like in the waves of things where specifically for me the last couple of months, like things have been like busy and there's been a lot of stuff out in the world with my name on it. So the, the volume of requests increases and everybody that starts is like, oh, you must be super busy, but can you do X? But can you, can and I add something to your to-do list? Yeah. 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 But you, you just feel like saying, hey, like no hard feelings. Like even if we made time, I'm so brain dead or I'm so focused on this other stuff. I can't add any value to whatever it is you're doing other than in some cases saying, hey, I think this is a bad idea. And then that's like, Opens you up have a whole to spend more, more time justifying explain, yeah, yeah. why, 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 why. No, I so, think that um, it's a great thing that you actually brought up of how you actually respond because uh, all jokes aside, I think it's important to have, like say that in a way that is honest enough, conclusive enough that they get the idea, but is also not rude because none of us want to come across as being yeah. dicks, right? But like, so for example, in the four hour work week throwback book, there's a whole section on this basically, right? Of like how, 
I mean, he is, Tim Ferriss is like next level. Uh, yeah, yeah. Auto response on, fuck off, basically, right? Like, I don't check my email, which I kind of respect, but was also not reasonable for most people, right? My version of that, and I have exactly the same, Jack, and is I have a basically in superhuman the email thing I use. I have a little snippet, and I basically have something where I've worded it a thousand times, and I found a way to write in a way, which is basically the honest truth, which is right now I have like these set of priorities. I'm really heads down with these things. Heads down don't take it in a bad way, basically. <laughs> but I don't dude. have energy. I don't have time to do other stuff. <laughs> and so maybe it maybe it doesn't say literally those words, but it's kind of is that is the truth, right? Like I only have a certain no, amount no, of energy for I'm certain not stuff. Laughing at that yeah, yeah. I definitely go. I'm heads down on I'm being in Lisbon. I'm heads down on being in Lisbon. So Yo, right now look. I'm yeah, not yeah. doing other work Let, or whatever. Let's go right? to the all of things. Heads down. <laughs> Swamped right now. Swamped. You ignore bandwidth. Swamped. Yeah. Sorry, I'm so swamped right now. The bandwidth what kills me. Listen, the Amanda, is great. I have, and dude. But here, this is the ultimate. Sorry, my kid's eating up all my time right now. I got no time. What do you? What do you? What's your response to that? No. Yeah, yeah. Like, but no, the, that's it. It's game over. Yeah. I think it's fine. I, I'm got to a stage where I'm like very happy to tell people in an honest way that their priority is not mine but in like a yeah. nice way, because I think yeah. a lot of people don't realize 90% so of your email inbound is their to-do list, not, not yeah. mine. Yeah. And like, but half the job of being a productive, effective worker or like someone who's doing their own stuff, especially is literally saying no to like lots of stuff. And that, that, that's not even like in a ego way that, like, oh, I'm so important. I'm getting asked to do stuff. It's literally just not even seeing friends sometime that you would like to see, but you don't have time. Like I would went to London. I didn't proactively post on on uh, Instagram now I was there because I know my old friend from uni or from whatever who I'm not gonna have a chance to see it gonna be like oh you're in town let's do this and I'd love to see them but I'm literally there for eight days mainly to see my parents right and so I need to maximize that outcome right like sounds like a weird way of describing it but that is why I was mainly there so it's just like uh, yeah I think that's a fair thing to have and if someone takes offense to that like you can't you can't be worried about them taking offense like as long as you've worded it in a way that is honest and not being a dick i think you're completely fine to do that so anyway i know we've gone off the topic of the original question but i think that was worth mentioning because i think a lot of people get to that stage whatever their level of work is where they need to start saying no to stuff um but as we've talked about on the show if you're in your early 20s hungry trying to build something for the first time you're normally trying to say yes to a lot of those things but over time you want to say no to more all right boys let's move on because i know we've got um lost the cover here we do want to talk about the travel stuff too let's do the content one here there's two questions here one is something you've listened to read or watched recently that you'd recommend you don't have to do all three but just one or two things that's really been hitting uh, and then this is a second part to it which is maybe more context for the answer from laurie he said the permissionless apprentice was one of the things i consumed that changed my life and perspective what were those things for the three of you? So shout out to our boy, Laurie. Uh, if you haven't signed up for that, what is it, what's the domain for that, Jack? Permissionless Just visualizevalue.com. Visualizevalue.com. You'll be able to find it on there. All right, perfect. One dollar. Yeah, One dollar. We can link to that. 200% money back guarantee. There we go. All right. If you, wait, yeah, perfect. Wait, for real? I love that. Yeah. You, yeah. I will pay you if this damn no, son no, no, did not be, know that. No, it's the, you will pay drunk if you if you don't like it or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two dollars instead exactly. of one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got yeah. it, got it. All right, Jack, All right, so what you two this? parts. Something that might have changed your life and perspective, if there is anything at that level. And then uh, something, maybe it's something that you've recently watched or listened to or read as well. Yeah, I got something. I got Go for a, a great trunk. one. We can, me and Jack will There's think in the meantime. There's a Vietnamese philosopher that went yeah. kind of ham last year. Uh, his moment uh, was with, uh, he was on the Edgar Klein podcast, and New York Times one. So that one, you know, the other one jukes. That one blows up. So his name is C.T. Nguyen. He's a university, I think in Utah. He's a philosophy professor in Utah. And he he studies games, game mechanics. We should actually get C.T. Nguyen on this podcast. I've never spoken to him, but that, speaking of cold calls, let me try to hit him with that little Vietnamese, yo, brother. Your brother from another mother, we might be cousins, who knows? You could definitely the get CT that, yeah, that's... yeah. So um, he wrote a paper about how Twitter gamifies conversations, all right? Yeah. And 
and it, it's an incredible podcast. I'm not going to do it justice, but the podcast and his 40-page PDF paper are incredible. Let me give you an example. Let me let me give you guys this lesson that I learned, which I, I, since we're all Twitter addicts here, well, mostly me and Jack, uh, I think we will all appreciate it though. He goes, okay, when you go to Rotten Tomatoes, what happens to Rotten Tomatoes? They aggregate reviews, right? So if somebody gives a two and a half on a four-star review, that gets a equivalent of a thumbs up. You get the potato, right? You get the tomato. That's a positive sign. If somebody gives something a six out of 10, that's a positive sign. So if somebody gives something a 10 out of 10, that in the aggregation system is equivalent to the six out of 10. But a 10 out of 10 could be the godfather, which changes your life. And that is getting bucketed the same for an Adam Sandler comedy, which made you laugh for 90 minutes, guaranteed to do that, but may not change your life. So Ron Tomatoes, what Ron Tomatoes does is it flattens out your assessments of the quality of things. Twitter is the same. When you like something on Twitter, because there's only so few interactions you can do, like, retweet, comment, again, you might see a tweet from Jack that might change your life, more likely than a tweet from me. So you get a tweet from Jack that might change your life. But your interaction mechanic is to like it. It's flattened out. It's like the 6 out of 10 and the 10 out of 10. You might see a joke from Trung that makes you laugh. You never think about it again. It gets the same interaction as Jack's thing that you're still thinking about a month from now. So what it does, Twitter is literally flattening out communication. It's flattening out what is being rewarded. And and we, we know that, that Twitter takes away the nuance from conversation. But it's not only that. It's like literally changing the outputs that people will get because they're getting the same reward, even though something might be significantly more profound, right? And he just talks about how that changes, like literally changes conversations. Mm. It changes political rhetoric, right? Like for politicians, a lot of them, it's just to score points on literally on Twitter. It's to get engagement instead of having something that will actually change policy, something that will change the way people think, right? And and I, I think we all intuit this, but the way CT Win breaks it down is so, because he, he's a game guy, he's a game studier, he studies games, and he's like, he's what his warning is: think about how you create incentives, and and create places for people to interact and have discourse, and think about what happens when you gamify those things to simplify to try to give it a score when maybe those things a score isn't adequate to represent that. So I don't, I don't know if I, I don't know if that kind of you makes sense. You gotta drop that link. Yeah. That was great. That was great. Yeah, very cool. So Ezra Klein and CT Nguyen, that's from February, we'll drop it in the uh, the show notes. Uh, it's it's mind blowing. I think, we'll, we'll get CT Win on the podcast. I'm calling it right That'll now. That'll be dope. No, I love that. Jack, anything to share from your side? Also shout out to Laurie for liking your stuff. Yeah. Yeah, man. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. Which one are we answering? We're answering uh, either recent... one. I mean, and if you need more time, I can share one mine. Thing, but just one you, thing, yeah, you one go, thing you go. that might have changed your life perspective or something recently that you've read or listened to. So, what if you're thinking, and if you don't have anything, no worries. I have a couple. You go. You go. Recent things versus maybe it would, to say change my life would be a stretch, but I'd say more recent stuff. Uh, so, I finally just finished Peter Atiyah's book, Outlive. I don't know. I was texting uh, Trung about this actually, but yeah, I don't know if you guys have ever watched him. Um, he's been on Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss. He's got his own podcast to drive. Uh, really smart doctor. Um, and just, yeah, as you guys know, I've been really interested in like the health stuff for a while, but specifically in the last like year and a half, I went extra ham on it. And I'd say from all the like hundreds of hours of stuff I've listened to, this was like a great distillation of all of the kind of academic stuff. And I kind of trust his opinion on stuff because he's a great filter. And if you don't know who he is, he's, he's just like a really smart doctor, but someone who's he's not necessarily trying to sell you like supplements or something. He's not like that biased, that, from my opinion anyway, versus a lot of the people that speak about health um, out there. So I've seen him like change his opinion on stuff, which I think is a really good sign. For example, on fasting, which is obviously a very talked about thing in that world. He's, it, he, you, there's a whole chapter on that uh, where he talks about what he's changed his mind on there. And then specifically, the last part of the book is about emotional health and mental health essentially and that I think there was also a conversation with Huberman I think uh, where they I've probably referenced it on the pod before but I thought that was quite a powerful 
discussion around you know him talking openly about stuff that like messed up with him where he literally went to rehab and stuff in the time that he's been in the public eye Wait, um, Atia or Huberman? Atia. He went for okay, this anger okay. and stuff that basically putting a uh, a label on stuff that we would all see is just always some angry guy, but literally to the point where he's like punching walls and becoming like, you know, I, I don't want to spoil it, but there was a time where his kid got really, really sick and he was so clinical on the phone where he's like, all right, tell me what the doctor says. And uh, he didn't go home. Like for all, he was he was traveling and it, and he basically breaks that down it's like a really embarrassing story to share because it basically makes him look like a monster right like if your kid is crying on the phone and going to hospital you drop everything right like that's what a rational person would do and i think it was the first time as someone who has been like interested tangentially in mental health and like depression and stuff like that but never fully understood because it's, it's such a big black box right like we know there's more awareness about it but to actually put more labels on it and to give a gradient of you know, like that, that example there of being an overachiever is something I saw in myself, right? Like I'm sure all of us have had this in our lives. Like there's someone who's an overachiever can just be someone who's just like really motivated. But a lot of the time it's you're trying to overcompensate for something and it can become addiction the same way a negative addiction like alcoholism or drugs can be, right? And so he goes into details around that and he actually referenced another book that I've just started reading. So I can't really say it is uh good or not yet but i've listened i've read like a couple chapters it's called talk about it by terence real again i know nothing about his world but he references it in that book and um lady called esther perel who is like a, a famous psychologist got peter atia to read that and so that one i was like okay this is something i've been interested in learning about for a while um and so i've started reading that as well recently while while i've been away so those are two books. I will say if you're someone who just wants a summary, you don't need to read the full book. But if you're really interested in the latest stuff around not just, um, you know, all the trendy stuff like intermittent fasting, but just how preventative healthcare and your life can be impacted by the what he calls the four horsemen diseases like heart disease, uh, neurodegenerative diseases, metabolic diseases, and I, and uh, I forgot the fourth one, but yeah, the, and cancer. So he basically talks about all of those and how the, basically the system we um, are running in in healthcare is very much like something's wrong, like put a plaster on it, take this drug, which makes sense for the stage of medicine that we've been in. But what he calls like medicine 2.0 or maybe 3.0, I can't remember what he called it, um, is that there is more, it should be more of a preventative approach. And just for my summary from it is you need to take your own health in your own hands, which we all kind of know but he gives you a lot more tangible stuff, not just high level yeah. stuff, like actual stuff. When you go to a doctor, ask for these blood tests. And, and when you're training in the gym, like these are a list of things you want to write for yourself. Like when I'm 55 years old, wh what do I want to do? I want to pick up my grandson. I want to be able to put, uh, you know, something in the locker in a plane and all that sort of stuff. And like, these are things that you can actually train for today. So I found it very impactful. It really kind of solidified a lot of my kind of like learnings in the space. So I'd recommend that. And on a lighter note, I will say a couple of thread people that we've shared in our DMs and you've probably seen some of these, um, but Upshot Towers, you know, the guys that write this sports stuff, absolutely incredible uh, threads they're writing on Twitter. Like Same, this one I've got up here. Incredible. Oh my God. On the one he Benzema? Oh, oh my, my God, God yeah. man. Yeah, I'll share, um, I'll share this with Rafa really so good. he can share on the screen right now. But I'll just read this one. They don't make them like Harry Redknapp anymore. The West Ham gaffer talked to it. Talk like a taxi driver, bollocked players on live TV and sent fans on as substitutes from porn star transfer targets to karate kicks in training, meet football's most terrific manager. And he does a whole thread on like this this legendary manager in football. So if you're interested in some funny reading, uh, that, that one and the one on Haaland and Benzema was also great. And then last one, our boy George Mack, want to give him a shout. I think he's been absolutely killing it with his uh, threads. He's been up in the content game, up George. Up in the content game. I see you. I yeah, see he's been you. Going literally, I, I literally see you. Like, yeah, I'm in my feed and I'm seeing your stuff. <laughs> but he's been doing a great job. I think he's been doing a really good job of uh, this one I've got up here, what is neglected by the media but will be studied by historians. And he's he's just sharing fun examples, um, obviously in a very thread boy way, but in a very good way. Like, I, I think he's doing a great job of that and bringing to my attention really interesting stuff. So, we will link to both of those in the show notes as well. So some fun reading for you there. Uh, Jack, anything coming to mind? 
Yeah, I had to look it up while we're on it. There was this, you guys ever heard of Brett Hall? You know who that is? The hockey player? No, no he's I'm a physicist. Not. Okay. If it There's was, a Brett. Imagine it was a hockey player. Though, that'd yeah, be yeah. There is an American hockey player named Brett Hall. But anyways, Brett yeah, Hall. Yeah. Okay. So the, he wrote this. He's uh, written a lot of amazing things. But there's one article that he, he wrote that was racking my brain while you were talking about the trying to figure out where I where it was. But it's called Are We Running Out of Resources? And the first paragraph, I'll just read the first paragraph and then we'll link to the rest of it. It says, a rock is just a rock unless you know how to extract what is inside it. Once you have the knowledge, once you know that that rock is not like any other rock, that rock is chalpurite. I don't know if I'm saying that right. It is an ore. It is an ore of copper. Once you know that, then it becomes a resource. This is a long, well, medium-length article about basically knowledge being the barrier to resource discovery, which would completely reshape your understanding oh, of shit. The world. This is going back to the sugar cube powered Tesla, you know, not to uh Rafa throw on the screen as a as a like, little B roll there, mate. They studying something, ten thousand hours, knowing it yeah. front to back. And you've done that with Bitcoin. So the question I had was, what would make you believe that your thesis on Bitcoin was incorrect? If I saw something better. Okay. It's like, you know, if you invent a fusion reactor that can run a Tesla on a sugar cube for a hundred years, <laughs> and you ask me whether I would buy that instead of the Tesla, all other things being equal, I think I like the car with the fusion motor or the atomic overthruster. I think this idea of finding, I don't know, things that people have articulated that help you think about the world in a different way, and this did for me, like the ideas that I discovered, I actually discovered this guy through Naval, who Naval obviously reshaped the way I thought about my working life, but then through like reading Naval stuff, getting to be exposed to people writing about physics specifically in a way that I can understand. This guy's writing is amazing, but- um, Please share that link. I tweeted it, yeah, I tweeted it a couple of years ago. I said, pessimists read this. That's how I found it from the from the uh, Twitter advanced search, but it really uh, is a great post that. reframing. Yeah. Amazing. I get it. I got it. That's a great. Okay, that's a great in, share, the, man. in the group. Smashing it. All right, boys. Should we? Uh, that was a great way to wrap that bit up. Just for the last few minutes, should we? Um, Let's move fire on to through some quick ones. The travel. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say if you want to do travel, there was a question from Jonah, which will kind of lead us into the travel part. We've got a few minutes. Jonah said. This was actually from the last AMA. We didn't get to answer it, so I've brought this back for you, Jonah. I'm going to be moving to, uh, to France from the U.S. for grad school uh, without knowing many people across the pond. Do you international gentlemen have any good stories or advice for settling into another culture or country? Well, I mean, at this point, he's probably real settled in, right? Or yeah, he probably is. But I don't know. I mean, it was probably from a month ago. But yeah, we, we can definitely still share. And all well, of us have uh... moved, right? So we've done that a few times. Let's do this, Bob. Why don't we uh, let's let, let's skip the travel stuff? There's not gonna be enough time. Yeah, let's yeah, answer cool, this cool. question. Let's just answer this one. It'll be similar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, man, is there any advice? Well, the key thing again: How old are you, right? That, don't that's follow what one. Trung did in his twenties. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I think you should do what I did. My twenties, hit the streets so hard. I think yeah. I was five nights a week. I was having lunch at cafes and out five nights a week. I mean, you just gotta get to know people. Incredible. And. Uh, Hey, Tron, and, uh, you were telling me about the, the routine you had. I only heard this when we met in person about the swimming every day. Do you want to share I, that? that? But that was when I was, that was when I was wiped up. You were cleaning up? I had my All right, fair yeah. enough, fair enough. Yeah, 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 that yeah. won't count. Well, actually, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you why my advice is completely useless here. So Jonah's doing this in 2023. I never had Tinder, never had Hinge. I don't think any of us had, actually. Uh, well, I had it, I had it everyone? early on. Okay, I had, I had uh, Yeah. So that changes yeah, yeah, yeah. the equation, right? So you can Definitely. at least, the meeting, the meeting... The, depends if you're single too, I, to be fair. But yeah, yeah, depends if you're single. Uh, I mean, I was, dude, this is so pathetic. I was hitting like Facebook groups and like hanging out on like Facebook groups, like seeing what like the expats of that said. I mean, you can find some sick expat Facebook groups or, or like similar groups uh, online. I mean, what is there? There's nothing. Nomad this, List actually has yeah. a Slack group. Nomad which List is has a, a great one. Yeah, there you go. This yeah, is, on, this is I don't know what the French one will be like, but that's worth, worth checking out. Is there out. any practical. I don't know what it, you gotta hit the streets, man. It's like that's it. There's like you gotta be out there, not, and that's all. Well, especially all France is quite an interesting one because this is obviously generalizing, but I know it depends where you are in France. If you're in Paris, I'm assuming if you said 
a business school. There's like, Ed, oh, I forgot what it called. It starts with an E. Oh, NCAD is there, and there's a few other big ones. Oh, yeah, NCAD. Uh, HEC or something like that is another one, I think. But a lot of them are in Paris or near Paris. So I'd say, like, the Parisians are different to uh, the rest of France. Like, uh, from my French friends, they say that. Like, generally speaking, they've already got a lot of their own groups, and they're not as impressed or interested in a lot of the time, like, international yeah. people, because they're like, well, we're French in Paris. Like, we're already living the good life. We are already the apex of culture. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but no, I mean, obviously generalizing, but I would say, well, first of all, whatever you're, wherever you're studying is going to have a great network, I'm sure, of other people. But one of the things I've noticed, I, I moved to Dublin uh, for a few years, and obviously I've moved to the States and like been around in the States for a while. And then the, the third version of this for me was spending like two, three months at a time in different countries, like did in Argentina, Colombia for almost a month. Mexico City a couple months. I've done Europe a few months at a time. And so the, the, there are actually some interesting ways to meet people beyond, like, obviously, if you are single, go hard and, you know, meet locals and, like, get introduced to their friends, go to their, you know, uh, event. Barbecue is a great, great way oh, to meet yeah. people. But, um, but one of the things I'd say, honestly, like, today I went on a walking tour, which is the most touristy thing, right? Like, I'm literally there feeling embarrassed I'm at this walking tour, but I've always loved these things. It's, it's always so touristy, but it's like two to three hours. And you, get, if you get a good guide, like first of all, you're just walking around, which is fun, like just to see the place anyway. But they tell you so much random stuff that you're just never oh. going to know, right? It's never on Wikipedia. It's not on Google Maps. It's like that guy knows this specific thing about who got massacred in this square today. Or like check out that little spy over there. That's from the Islamic background. But this part was the Jewish background. And like, I would never have known that. So for someone like me, and I'm sure you guys are a bit like that, just knowing that, like, especially fun fact fan, you're going to love getting to know that interesting stuff. But you also meet really interesting people there. Like, it's not always just Asian tourists taking pictures. This is great advice, man. Yeah, I might was... take a walking tour in Vancouver to meet people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also <laughs> the other thing I'd say, yeah, no, I, I was actually going to say that. I did this in New York when I moved there. Even though I was going to live there, I went in my neighborhood and I met a guy who was, he did this for fun on the side on the weekend for free, just because he loved telling people about history yeah. of like the Greenwich Village where I lived at the time. And it was like, I learned more about that New York in that one, two hours than I have like in 10 years of living there. Um, so that's a good way to do it. Another thing I've done recently is gone Airbnb experiences, which again, sounds kind of obvious, but if you go to like, like I did a mezcal mole thing in Oaxaca, there was like a wine tasting thing here in Lisbon like you meet kind of interesting people so it depends on if you're like a 22 year old go to a uh you know a hostel right like you're going to meet plenty of people there but if you're like going to business school I'm assuming you're like late 20s or early 30s or something like that this sort of thing you might meet some more traveling people um like interesting backgrounds and you nowadays you're getting a lot more not like digital nomads only but what they call slow mads so like if you guys have heard that term it's from uh, yeah, ridiculous. What is, what is that? What well, is that? it's like the guy, what's the name? Peter Levels, who made Nomad List. I think he, I've heard Legend. him describe himself as a slow mad because it's kind of like what I am now by this point. It's like when I travel like this, I'm here for a few months. I'm working a little bit. Uh, I'm like doing some podcasts, but then I'm also just like trying to just pretend like I'm living in a place for a month or whatever, right? So it's not like you're here in the streets like you were in your 20s. And like, you know, I've got uh, my girlfriend, so like, we live the way we Whoa, would be man. living in New York. Like we're cooking at home. We're like going out sometimes, but we're doing like normal stuff in this place. And for a lot of those people, they're like living there for a year or two and seeing how they feel. So me, that uh, is another sort of group of people you might meet, which is kind of interesting too. I just want to say, I love how practical Bilal got on this question. My answer was, I don't know. I hate Action the streets, man. advice. No, but Oh, uh, well, what I want to say, I think the walking tour is such a great suggestion, but when I love uh, I love chirping walking tours because nothing is funnier to me than big Asian groups around sites like the Coliseum or Acropolis with Incredible. like the one with the flag, you know, they're holding the flag. <laughs> can't hear you, can't hear you. Or That's... they're all following the lady with the flag. Oh, the high in the sky. Yeah. It's the funniest shit ever, man. Although it's so I should good. Be My old man loves that stuff. But anyways. Um, but yeah, hopefully that helps Jonah. Jack, any... Last tips, I know we've been here for a while, so uh, we'll, we'll have to cut this soon. But Jack, you moved to the US, slept on people's couches, made your way, made a, you lived the American dream. Any Man. advice for Jonah? Yeah, I was also 21 at the time, so it's very much an age-dependent thing, a situation-dependent thing, like Trunk said. But I do think the 
I mean, a lot of it will come. I can, I'm trying to think back. Like I moved here with a couple of people I knew and then one, you know, one or two connections that you already have can kind of introduce you to big networks of people. So finding whether that's people you're studying with or people that you might already be one degree of separation from that to me, like helped me like get traction quick ish with, uh, social stuff is just one connection in common is enough to like, you know, break the, uh, metaphorical ice and get going and then yeah. work and study stuff. I know we talked about this on this, this episode already, but yeah, you obviously going to make friends and acquaintances with people who have the same <clears throat> professional interests as you two. But no, yeah. you guys gave great, great answers. So I'm not going to add blah, much to that. Blah, 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 I'll just, and beyond I'll just say one last thing as well, just because it came to mind as you said that, is whenever I've lived in another country, it's really important for me anyway is to make sure you make local friends too, because a lot of time you just become friends of expats, right? And you're there with the international crew, which is understandable, but like you really want to get that local French experience. Like you want to be invited to the Thanksgiving equivalent of one of your boys, you, your French friends. You go out with only the French people. You know, like, I think if you make that an actual goal, like it might be hard to do. I've, I think that's really a nice goal. Like I did that in Dublin, uh, even in New York, like lots of my friends are still very international, but. I want to know what it's like. I, I remember going to Florida for Thanksgiving and uh, the lady, oh, uh, the girl I know, her mom was like a senator in um, in uh, in Florida and it was like the most Thanksgiving America, Florida vibe you're going to have, you know? Legendary. So I thought that was worth, like th those experiences, you're not really going to be able to replicate that just with expats and um, foreigners. So definitely make extra effort and respect that you're in their country, you know, like, try your best to learn enough about their culture so that you're not just being the, you know, like international person over eager about the basic stuff. Um, and ask them, like, don't be afraid to ask those questions to them to, to like assimilate a little bit more. But yeah, I think that was a great way to end that. Uh, sorry, we didn't get to all the awards of travel, but we'll no. maybe do that another time. We'll save that. That was a good app. Uh, Jack has to run now. So Trunk, thanks for being here for so long as well. And Jack, and we will see you guys on next week's show hopefully uh, all three of us will be there and we'll see see you guys soon cheers